0: fact we are selling in a digital age. So is your presentation digitally savvy? Let's get into that on today's episode of The Buyer's Mind.
1: Welcome to The Buyer's Mind where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism.
0: To reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shaw. Greetings. Welcome once again to The Buyer's Mind. So glad to have you with us once again for this podcast where we seek to understand the way that our customers make purchase decisions and seek to change the way we do business to make it easy for them to do just that. I'm Jeff Shore, your host, joined by our show producer, Paul Murphy. We are so glad to have you here. I just want to say on a a personal note, I appreciate those of you who listen to The Buyer's Mind so faithfully with a desire to really want to improve your game. It's not entertainment for you. It's the opportunity to say, how do I get better? The best part about the feedback that we get on the buyer's mind is not just that I enjoyed this episode, it's, here's what I did differently after I heard this episode, and that's the cool part. So Keep those comments coming. Uh, You can uh, drop a note in iTunes on the comment section there. You can send us an email, ask at jeffshore.com. We really appreciate hearing from you what you're getting out of the buyer's mind. Uh, Hey, Murph, um, we're going to talk about digital persuasion today. And I know you've seen a lot in your years in this business. This is kind of a tough subject. Uh, It's really about how do we retain a great online image. And I know from your perspective, that's not an easy thing to do.
1: The technology is changing all the time. Uh, they, they talk about Moore's Law and the fact that uh, every 18 months, uh, the technology itself doubles. Uh, and so trying to keep up in this mm-hmm. digital uh, age is, is hard for both salespeople, marketers, and even the consumers, because uh, you think about how you go about doing things is far different today uh, than it was even two years ago.
0: And I think one of those key differences is speed, right? It's like everything is happening so fast. It's easy to sort of get lost, get left behind. And we're thinking, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I've always done. And that is the problem, right? We're trying to do things the way we've always done. And Murph, you know us at Shore Consulting. We are a fast company. When we ask you for things, you're the you're the digital guy, you're the tech guy, so when we ask you for things and we say we need it in a hurry, how fast are we talking about? Uh,
1: I think you're asking for it five minutes ago. That's what I think you're
0: asking. <laughs> <laughs> that's. I think you're about right on that. But that's the idea. We're, we're moving so quickly uh, and uh, we don't want to get left behind. We want to take advantage of it. And I think uh, largely that the, the uh, proliferation of digital tools has sped everything up. But at the same time, everything that we do online is an extension of our personal brand. Right. So every awkward email, uh, um, every um, misspelled message that we send out there, we're constantly being judged. And we're being judged by people with minuscule attention spans that don't really have a lot of time to sit around and say, well, I'll bet this is what was really going on. And I think maybe the best way to be able to do this is if we go back to a podcast that we recorded last year. Uh, with um, Joseph Pine, who wrote the book, The Experience Economy. The best way to see this is business as theater, that your online presence is a stage. Your digital presence is a stage. And when you look at theater, everything that happens on stage matters. Everything that happens on stage is purposeful. If you're sitting in the audience, there's a reason that you are seeing every single thing that's taking place up on that stage. Business as theater. So As we get into this topic today and talk to the author of the book, Digital Persuasion, I'm going to ask that you really think through from that perspective, how do I see my business, my online business as theater? Because everything matters. Well, I always enjoy uh, having people on the podcast that just bring a tremendous amount of energy, wisdom, smarts, and tell a little bit of everything. And today we have an award winning entrepreneur, author, digital persuasion expert. She's the CEO of the social aid agency, a social media firm. She she deals with mostly obscure and unknown clients like ABC, Disney, the Oscars, Visa, Hitachi. Never heard from any of these companies before, but someday maybe she'll make it to the big time. Please welcome to the Buyer's Mind, Aaron Gargan King. Aaron, how are you? I'm
2: doing great, Jeff. How are you? Thanks for the intro. A
0: who's, that's a who's who right there. You're you're like a mover and a shaker.
2: You know, it's funny. My my business grew from one client at my kitchen table to some of the world's biggest brands, all from one tweet. Tell me more. So I was running my agency out of my house. And yeah. do you work from home or do you have an office?
0: Yeah, I, I we, we there's 12 of us at Shore Consulting, but we're all spread out around the corner. I, I've got an office in my home. Yeah.
2: Oh my gosh. Well, okay. So it was one of those days where I've been working from home since, you know, 6am and you kept thinking you're going to like actually change out of your pajamas and brush your teeth and actually get your day going, you know, right, which,
0: which rarely and, happens of course, but yeah, yeah. Right.
2: And it was like 3.30 PM. <laughs> I'm in like the red flannel pajamas, you know, having yeah. brushed the teeth and I'm like, what is my life? Right. And, yeah. um, so I remember I was working on this one client. I'd been working on them for hours and hours and I went to pay a cell phone bill and this is my third venture, you know, and I couldn't pay my cell phone bill. And I had this total mental breakdown. I, I realized it overdraw my checking account. And I remember thinking to myself like, you know, one of those snowball moments where all of a sudden you're like, okay, I've been working on all so hard. I have nothing to show for it. I can't pay the cell phone bill. And so I literally just quit for the day. And that night, the Oscars were on TV. And I was Mm -hmm. drinking a huge glass of really cheap Chardonnay and feeling sorry for myself. (laughs) And I started tweeting about how the Oscars were so boring after about an hour. And I wonder what's happening backstage. Like, I wonder if Matt Damon is actually like friends with George Clooney, or are they just like frenemies? And I started creating all these different scenarios on Twitter. Well, people started jumping in on the conversation. And everyone started creating all these, what if this is happening? What if Meryl Streep ripping shots backstage with so-and-so? And And it started to snowball. And so the next day, I ended up getting a message from the producers of the Oscars, ABC Disney. And -hmm. they were like, hey, that's kind of a cool idea. Maybe we should try something like that. And so I wrote them a message and said, look, what if you had cameras backstage and you had an app that would live stream what's happening behind the scenes at the Oscars and get people to download it so it's like a second-screen experience? And they said, why don't you come in and tell us more about it? And I couldn't believe it. So I went to LA and had a meeting with the Oscars. And they ended up hiring me and my little ragtag bunch of contractors. And from there, hold, we hold got on, wait, I
0: gotta jump into the story for just a second. Yeah. I gotta ask you this question. So you yeah. you you just said that so flippantly. So I went to LA and I met with them. I mean, yeah. what were you feeling? when you were just like the 24 hours before and then when you were walking through the door because there had to be a whole lot of what oh, in yeah. the hell is going on right well, now?
2: Well, my first emotion, they were like, well, do you have any ideas? I'm like, yeah, my idea is please hire me because I'm broke. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> but I didn't say that. <laughs> you know, instead I tried to keep it personal and useful and brief about them. And then when I was driving there, I remember I had to borrow gas money to get to LA, which is 90 miles away from my house in Orange County. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like coasting down the hills and trying not to use too much gas on the downhills so I would make it to the meeting
0: That's awesome.
2: and then I just went in there and I just you know I just shared ideas I wasn't trying to sell them I was just offering value offering ideas and you know I think they're used to the big fancy you know LA London New York agencies and so for some reason they gave me a shot and it was my big shot and I hired a bunch of my friends we worked our butts off we rocked the event and from there We got Fashion Week, and then we got Nelson Mandela's Legacy of Hope Foundation, and then Visa and Target. And literally from that one moment, my entire agency blew up. Our client list went from local nobody to huge Fortune 100s. And my life has literally never been the same, all from just one moment, which is crazy.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, You you obviously, you're, you're a marketing expert, you're a digital persuasion expert, but you actually started in sales back in the day.
2: I called every single person in the Baltimore City, Yellow Pages, (laughs) which is where you used to go to find phone numbers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I worked for a a local television station in Baltimore City. So if you've ever seen the movie Anchorman with Ron Burgundy Mm -hmm. and Will Ferrell, and if you've ever seen The the Wire with Baltimore City, it was kind of a combination of like Mm -hmm. Anchorman meets The Wire. Okay. Um, (laughs) And it was 100% commission. So if I didn't Mm -hmm. sell, I didn't eat. So I was 22 years old running around. PowerPoint presentations and just, you know, it was, it was really challenging as anyone listening Mm -hmm. who does commission only sales can tell you, but there is literally no better training in life than commission only sales positions, I think.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 if you, you, you don't, if you don't sell, you don't eat, it's that simple, simple. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said, you're going to do it or you're not going to be doing it. What what did you think you were going to do when you were, when you were younger, when you were growing up, what, what did you think your career was going to look like?
2: Um, I am actually not a huge planner and I, I'm very much in the moment. Um, I never really had a vision for that. My dad just always told me, um, you know, he would say, find what you like to do and get someone to pay you for it, which I've only recently figured out how to do that in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but my dad was also a sales guy and said, as long as you can sell, you'll never go hungry. As long as you have that skill set, you'll, you'll be okay
0: you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's good advice. That's that's very very wise. Uh, yeah, I thought I was going to be in the theater arts, uh, somewhere on stage, uh, maybe, maybe playing music, uh, er, early on. And it, it took me a while to realize I, I don't have any talent. So I, th- I thought maybe <laughs> that'd be, although these days it doesn't seem to be holding a lot of people back. Um, you know, when we look at the profession <laughs> called sales, do do you see it as a difficult job, or 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 is it just really not that tough as long as your head is on straight and you've got it, you got to you 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 kind of know what you're doing? What do you think?
2: Well, it depends what kind of sales you're talking about. B two B sales is a very interesting space right now with social selling, with LinkedIn, with the internet. I mean, if you think about it. You know, iPhones are turning 12 years old, Facebook mm-hmm. is turning 15 years old. So if you average the two, this way of existing in this social, mobile, digital world is only about 13.5 years old, which mm-hmm. is freshman in high school old. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if you think I'm a freshman in high school, right, you're awkward. Uh, you're really faking it till you make it. You're looking to others to learn how to behave, which is not always the smartest move. And mm-hmm. so if you find yourself as, as a salesperson in this environment feeling awkward or feeling like you're not sure if what you're doing on digital, on email, on social is working, you're, that's that's why. It's because we're only freshmen high school old. Operate in this way, and I think that there's been nothing that's impacted traditional sales as much as social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with a lot of organizations, Fortune 100s, that are in everything from healthcare to real estate, finance, retail, and and what I'm seeing more and more is that marketing and sales are having to align themselves closer than ever because, you know our roles are changing. Like, what is the salesperson's role if the buyer's journey is 80% of the way complete before they ever reach out to a salesperson? Mm-hmm. You know, are you're just talking logistics, implementation, and pricing. Is that it? Um, you know, what is marketing's job to support that journey when someone can just go direct to a salesperson's LinkedIn and see what they're sharing? Is marketing just a content machine now that's just sharing it with sales who has the audience? So it's really, you know, being redefined, I think, now more than ever. Hmm.
0: Freshman in high school, awkward. I I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, That'll be a... (laughs) That'll be a Jeff Shore original by next uh, next Tuesday. Uh, I'm, I'm totally <laughs> stealing that. Uh, I, no, I, I won't. But that's awesome. I'll, I'll credit you. Let's talk okay. about the book. Did you you wrote Digital Persuasion? I want to. We'll talk about the book in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about the process of writing the book and how it came about. Because I, in my mind, uh, Aaron, I'm sort of picturing you sitting there in the fifth grade getting uh voted most likely to be distracted and uh, having an exasperated fifth grade teacher going Aaron 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 <laughs> uh, so you're all over the map your brain works at a million miles an hour it's difficult for people like you to actually stop and codify your thoughts into a book how did you do it
2: well I'm actually a writer I was an English major in school so oh, really? I I yeah. love to write so that's actually where I'm better at centering and anchoring my thoughts than even Uh, was was
0: I wrong then was I wrong on my on my description of the fifth grade with uh, you being a handful for a fifth grade teacher
2: (laughs) actually I'm very high energy um and uh I do think quickly, but um, as far as writing, I find that it's actually easier for me to write than speak sometimes. Okay, (laughs) yeah, yeah. But I I tried to uh, do the classic shortcut of hiring someone to write it for me, Mm -hmm. which people don't talk about, but a lot of people do this, right? They hire a ghostwriter, they hire a company, and they say, well, just talk to us for a couple hours. We'll record you, and it'll be your voice, and we'll write it. Well, let me tell you this. If you're in sales or you're in marketing, that is very hard to do because mm-hmm. no one can tell your message the way you can tell it. If you are in an, an area like science or math or you know a different profession, medicine, where you're not necessarily relying on your communication skills, absolutely hire a ghostwriter. But if you are a communicator for by trade, don't even try it because it is absolutely, it's just a waste of time, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, So I hired someone to come in and help me tell my story of of what I do and how I do it. And when I read the first manuscript, I drove them so crazy. They went through four editors. And finally, um, they didn't fire me, but we kind of just had a timeout. And I locked myself in my room for 10 straight days, the week between Christmas and New Year's. And I wrote the entire thing myself.
0: (laughs) Hmm. Wow. There you go. I just knocked it out. Yeah. And different people have different writing styles. Some people write a little bit at a time. Some people just really sort of pound it out, but there is that idea that uh, if you do it in a condensed time, and that's just, that is typically the way that I will will write is that you, you end up with a better arc to your story. It's not a book of uh, disconnected chapters that are all sharing the same cover. There's a narrative that you're trying to cover. And that's one of the things that I loved about digital persuasion and the idea that, you know, you're, you're trying to take a lot of Points that I would not say are disconnected, but they need to find a unifying force, and the unifying force is in the way that how can we be persuasive in these different areas? So, for example, one of the key points that you make early on is about speed, uh, specifically the speed of first impressions. Particularly as it relates to digital communication, talk a little bit about that. We're in this speed age, and yet uh, some of us are are pedaling along at twelve miles an hour when the Ferraris are all up around two hundred.
2: That's right. Well, we don't type like we talk, mm-hmm. and we don't read like we listen. And so when you think about being a salesperson or even a marketer, the way that you operate in the real world is very different from how you operate online. So the challenge is, how do you bridge that gap between online you and offline you? And how do you make sure that the person that shows up in the real world, that's persuasive and influential and powerful you, that once you're in the door, right, once you have that face-to-face meeting and you're on that phone call, you're on that video conference, once you're there, you have them you can persuade them to do, to go and think and believe and do what you want them to do. But it's just getting there where people struggle, right? Because you have to win on digital first to ignite dialogue later. And mm-hmm. so it's not that we have super short attention spans. We just have very low tolerance for crappy content. And when you think about how we're, we're filtering through content every day on our phones, you're getting everything in the form of a message notification. You're getting a preview of an email you're getting a preview of a social media post you're getting a text message and those previews are about 10 words mm-hmm. which takes about 2.5 seconds to read and so what we're not thinking about is the fact that there's a lot of power in that preview so when you're checking your phone Jeff, you don't even know why you're ignoring something or opening something you don't right. know why you're thinking like this is important or it's not important. You're just making that decision very fast by that little mobile notification, and so what's happening with a lot of of sales outreach? I don't know how many you get a day, but I get at least forty to fifty ridiculous, yeah, messages yeah. a day. Whether right, it's right. I me mean, from everyone trying to sell me everything, right?
0: Absolutely absurd.
2: And yeah. everyone's sending the exact same email. They're mm-hmm. sending. Hi, this is my name. Here's who I've worked with. Here's why we're amazing. Here's how we can help you. Is a time in your mm-hmm. calendar this day. It's the exact right. same message over and over again. Yeah. And so, so what my book really talks about is how can you, in that first 10 words, that first 2.5 seconds, that that power of the preview moment, how can mm-hmm. you make sure that you even get a chance at that and you're not ignored like everyone else? And and the first step is to, is to not make that opening just like everyone else, which is mm-hmm asking someone, how are you? How was your weekend? No, one's going to actually write back. It's not like it's 1999 and people actually write pen pal emails back and forth about how the weekends right. were. It's like, check my Instagram, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> so, so that's the first thing is like skip the niceties, and the second thing is starting with you and saying, "I wanted to reach out. I was hoping to." That's what everyone writes. And mm-hmm. when you start with "I," you're putting yourself at the focus. So flipping the language around and starting with something personal about that person that just shows you have to be best friends. If I said, um, "If I said like you know, oh Joanne Williams said your book was amazing," you're not going to think that because we both know Joanne Williams that now we're best friends. Mm-hmm. But what you are going to think is. Huh? This person is not like everyone else. They're not just right. coming in and trying to sell something. So automatically, you're differentiating yourself in just a few words.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I like you. I get so many of these emails, and what I'm getting recently is an email that says, "Hey Jeff, I was online and I read your blog post called this, this, and this, and I really think you and I think the same way. And I've got this amazing company, and we should talk." And and it took me a while to realize I'm getting this same email over and over again before I figured out. This isn't even a human being, this is a bot. This is a, an artificial intelligence bot scouring the internet, looking for a similarity, hoping that they can fish uh, into a response from me. And all that does for me is it trains me to use the delete button even quicker. Right? I cannot wait to delete most of these e- emails. And I agree with you. And they do come across. They're impersonal. They do not sound like they have anything to do with me. And uh, I, I can't. I, I can't wait to get away. But you are absolutely right. When there's something that connects to something that is clearly personal, and you know. The It's interesting about that, Aaron. It's not that difficult. It's not that difficult Mm -hmm. to find something unique about that individual, but I think we're trying to just pound stuff away so much that we don't even stop to think, how can I make this about the person that I'm actually trying to connect with?
2: Absolutely. 100%. I mean, a phrase I use is if you're still playing the numbers game, then your days are numbered. Because if you think about it, AI and robots. I mean, robots can perform five-hour brain surgery in two minutes. Robots Mm -hmm. can beat humans in Texas Hold'em. Facebook created two robots named Bob and Alice that within days started speaking to each other in a language the programmers didn't even understand. If you don't think that robots can copy and paste, (laughs) you you know, and, and, you know, we read these, these doom and gloom stats, you know, Forrester Research says that by 2020, you know, all salespeople will be eliminated and all these crazy things and it's like well not if you double down on the one thing that ai and automation and deep learning and machine learning can never replace which is your human side Mm -hmm. That, that human personal connection is your only edge if you are not doubling down on it what is your value yeah and so like you said i mean you know people will write messages and they'll say you know i was trained i was trained with the whole you know Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing era. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw it. And, you know, I I read all of Jeffrey Gittimer's books, who I love. Right. Um, but you know, some some of those are are from an, a bygone era. Tell me about your business. Well, nowadays, you say to someone, tell me about your business, what that says is I did not take any time to mm-hmm. look you up, to research you. It's right. actually, it went from being a really great opener to a really rude opener. Mm-hmm. Um, because in my opinion, in 2019, research is the new listening. Mm-hmm. Taking a look at, I mean, like you said, it's not hard. I mean, if there's publicly available information, which there is about everyone, unless they're a psycho or trying to hide something, you Mm -hmm. can find something about everyone that at least opens up with, it's not what you're saying, it's what you're telegraphing by that personalization, which is, I took a minute to treat you like a human being, like like a person. And, you know, those bots, you're right. I had one person send me 12 unanswered messages. And I just like you, I was like, Are they serious? And then I realized it was a bot. And I finally got a hold of this guy. And he was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. That's my assistant in Thailand that I pay to do outreach. But he wasn't particularly sorry about it. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: so I I got him on a phone call and I literally I shared with him like how this makes people feel. And anyway, so going back to like the book, the reason I wrote it is because I'm on a mission to help clean up the world's inboxes and eradicate what is a waste of time on both sides.
0: I love it. And and on behalf of the world, thank you so much. We really <laughs> appreciate that. Wow. Well, we got some work to do. Do, do you find yourself sometimes uh, looking at some of the emails that you get, some of those uh, phishing emails, and look at it and go, man, if you'd have just done this right here, which would have taken you about eight seconds on a LinkedIn search, uh, this I could have improved you, you, This must be an occupational hazard for you. You must be able to see what people could do better and so easily if they would just put in a half an ounce of effort into it.
2: Yes, I I do. And I rewrite a lot of them and put them on social media, which yeah. is people love it or they think it's the meanest thing ever. So I started <laughs> blacking out people's names so you couldn't yeah. see who it was because right. I was trying to do like the town square humiliation to shame yeah. them into stopping. Right. And some people thought it was amazing. Other people were like, oh, that's beneath you. So just for less controversy, now I will post a rewrite of a message, but I'll black right. out right. their name.
0: Um. So, yeah, well, it's a good service. Um. You proffer several unusual but in- intriguing concepts that I wanted to throw at you from the book. Uh, one of them you already mentioned research is the new listening, which you talked about. I just think that's just brilliant. That's absolutely uh, correct. There is a way to listen to people even before you have that first conversation. And if you don't, mm-hmm. uh, they'll judge you for that. What about this concept that screens are the new gatekeepers? <sighs>
2: Well, that's what we're talking about, which is you don't get a chance at that unless you can get your message opened. And it's so funny because in these messages that we send, and this is everyone from software reps, if you're selling real estate, if you're selling software, if you're selling financial services, you know, if, you're, if you're working for an MLM and you're trying to get your friend to give your new holistic nutrition product a chance, whatever you're selling, when you try to reach out, get their attention introduce yourself educate them about your product and make an ask all in one message Mm -hmm. the reality is it's just too much for one message and the the gate you know screens are the new gatekeepers if someone ignores you it's not that they didn't get your message or that they aren't sure what you're trying to say if they ignore you ignoring means no (laughs) ignoring means Mm -hmm. i don't care and the problem is is that with these messages we don't type like we talk and so If you're in person people are a lot more polite they're more willing to listen to you and your product which is why every salesperson is always trying to get 15 minutes on the calendar right but Mm -hmm. on digital by trying to cram all of that into one message it's it's too much for one message and people these multi-scroll multi-paragraphs we just think of how you go through it we just don't read it
0: right Right. No, absolutely. There's no question. Uh, speaking of ignoring the word that you just used, you say in the book that millennials are expert ignorers.
2: Yes. You know, I want to rephrase that. We're all becoming expert ignorers. I think it's you're right. See, yeah.
0: it, I'm glad you said that because I read that and I went, well, I'll take your word for it. I guess that makes me a millennial. <laughs> are you an expert ignorer jeff i really am i, I really am and i'm and that skill is in, is getting increasingly sharp uh uh every day i think
2: well because we're treading inbox water right i mean mm-hmm. it's our brain's way of protecting us from all kinds of stats out there but my, the latest one that i read that seems pretty accurate for me i don't know about you but is that we field about 300 messages a day when you add mm-hmm. up emails and notifications and ads and everything um and, you know, I have a really embarrassing secret, which is that right now I'm looking at my phone and I have 141,516 unread emails. <laughs> and people, when I say that on stage, people are like literally gasp and everyone mm. immediately judges me. They're like, oh my God, like, does she pay taxes? Like, does she regift? gift Like, is she a bad yeah. person? <laughs> and the truth <laughs> is, is that I pay taxes, I don't re-gift, I'm not a bad person. I just can't, I can't dig out from all these, I mean, I'm, I'm spending, if, if I was going to touch every single message, my husband's tried to get me to get different inboxes and a whole system. It, it was taking me two hours a day to just defend myself mm-hmm. from all the, the, all the emails that were attacking right. me. And so I just gave yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's not a great solution, but inbox <laughs> zero is a land I've never been to. And I, I've heard about it from people. It sounds amazing.
0: I'm there every morning and every night. I'm sick that way. But I had to put in systems. (laughs) And the only way that I'm able to do it is that I delete like a madman. Yeah. I mean, I I just it's a it's a, it's just that little tiny jolt of joy I get every time I hit the delete <laughs> button, and trust me, uh, I delete a lot. There's no question Smart. about it. So yeah, Smart. yeah, yeah, it's the only <laughs> way you could do it. I I, I would I, my my brain would be fried just trying to keep up with it. I I totally understand your point there.
2: Yeah, um, and you know it's funny, like sending all those messages. I will yeah. say. I meet with a lot of CFOs of big companies. And a really disturbing trend when it comes to outbound selling, especially outbound digital selling and social selling or digital persuasion, as I call it, is that a lot of times CFOs are measuring how much just they're, they're, I don't know how to say this. It's like they just want to see that you sent out a hundred emails. They just want right. to see in Salesforce right. that you did all these activities, but they don't care yeah. if it's actually productive or not. They just want to be able right. to show, hey, a hundred thousand people were annoyed by our sales pitch today. And so if 1% of them buy, we're on target for Q3 and I'm just seeing this more and more. And it just feels so old school to me. Like I understand that back, you know, when I started my career 15 years ago, you know, when we were just kind of starting out with this world, you know, of, of the Internet, people would answer numbers they didn't know. They didn't have a choice. Not everyone mm-hmm. had caller ID. You know, right. you had to meet someone with a PowerPoint because how else were you going to learn about the products and services that were out there? And so we had no other choice. But now, gosh, it just seems so strange when when you can find out what everyone cares about, what they, what their needs are, what, you know, did they change jobs? You know, did they get a promotion? Did they, you know, did they share an article about a problem in their industry? There's so much knowledge out there And some of the sales teams that I've worked with using the principles in my book, we've found that you can, you can spend half the time on outreach, making it personal and useful and brief and get a lot more appointments, a lot more face time by just treating people like people. And by just being, you know, not like everyone else. And it's just, it's so funny how many sales teams are still stuck in this old school habit and they're just so afraid of change. And it's right. its interesting. I don't know if you're finding that in, in your experiences with your clients well, there's too, but no I find question it very fascinating.
0: It. I mean, you, you cannot stand out by doing the same thing that everybody does. And And the irony of it is that in this digital age, there are so many cool ways to stand out we're just not taking advantage of them. We're, we're and we're just about out of time. Let me ask you. You, you, I love your boldness, right? I gravitate towards bold people. Have you always been so, or is that something that you you had to acquire an, a knack for over time?
2: What do you mean, my boldness? How, how do you yeah. know I'm bold, Jeff? <laughs>
0: Uh, well, when you uh, when you when you borrow money to get in your car to drive to meet with the Oscars, uh, you're already bold. Uh, but uh,
2: that was no, desperation. I, I, but
0: but I'll tell you how I define boldness. Boldness is facing the discomfort and doing it anyway. So there are a lot of people who make the, their desire for comfort uh, so strong that when they face a discomfort, they see it as a threat and then they run away. You're the type of person yeah. that clearly likes to lean into the discomforts of the world. I, am I wrong?
2: you're right and i can tell you the exact moment that i kind of embraced what you just said Uh, i was at my job at the tv station in baltimore and i was up for a promotion which would mean that i would get a base salary plus commission which i really wanted and i was up for it against my counterpart this guy named james and i hope he's not not listening to this podcast but um he he and i went for the same promotion and james he played a lot of golf with the uh, executive boys team Mm -hmm. and i had better sales numbers and i was overconfident and 23 and thought i knew everything And i remember going into my boss's office and i was so sure that I got the promotion. And of course, who do you think got the promotion, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. James? Right. And obviously the smart thing would have been to just go learn how to be a better golfer. That'd have been the, probably the, the, the smarter move. But instead I, I decided in that moment that it was more dangerous, in my opinion anyway, to let someone else, you know, dictate my path and my story and my journey. And so I jumped ship and started my first company, which I called Jump Digital Media. I just mm-hmm. fully Jerry maguire it. And that's a whole other story. But um, that was kind of the moment where I realized that I think um, it's just as risky in my opinion to stay in what people perceive to be a safe space, but is actually mm-hmm. more dangerous when someone else right. is driving.
0: That is absolutely right. Well, well said. Hey, before we get, let you go, we're going to put you on the hot seat, rapid fire questions, rapid fire yes. answers. You ready? Okay. Yes. All right, here we go. Your very first job was what?
2: Uh, tennis, a tennis instructor at my country club.
0: Interesting. Uh, yes. An album from your youth that you listen to over and over again.
2: Oh, Dave Matthews Band, Under the Table and Dreaming.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the most beautiful place you have ever stood.
2: Mm. E.S. Santorini, Greece.
0: Mm, lovely. Uh, a book that you read earlier in life that made a profound impact on the rest of your life.
2: Uh, professional would be uh, Jeffrey Gittimer's Little Red Book of Selling. Classic. Um, I'll stop there. I have a personal one too, uh, which is The Secret.
0: Okay. Uh, A movie you've seen multiple times, but it doesn't matter when it comes back on, you have to watch it.
2: Wedding Crashers.
0: And (laughs) I don't know why I wasn't (laughs) expecting that. Uh, And the name of your first celebrity crush?
2: Um, Jordan McKnight from New Kids on the Block.
0: I was totally expecting that. Okay, so uh, there you go. Aaron Gargan King. The book is Digital Persuasion. Just go on Amazon, order it. If you're looking for an obviously dynamic keynote speaker, you can go to aarongarganking.com. We'll put that in the show notes. Aaron, thank you so much. That was a blast.
2: Thanks, Jeff. Have
0: a good one. All right. There you go. Murph, we always love people who have the combination of uh, scary, smart uh, intelligence and strong uh, ideas, but also just really super high energy. And I think Aaron just definitely fit that bill. Yes. Absolutely. Uh,
1: You know, that was part of the joy of uh, getting her coordinated to be on the program with us today. Um, She has just got a ton of energy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But but she focuses it in the right way. And you can hear that throughout the process that she wants to bring people along. She wants to bring people on this journey. And when she thinks about digital persuasion, it's not just a book title. You can kind of tell this is her life. This is this is her mission. Yes. Yes.
1: Absolutely. The book uh, resonates the passion that she has for this topic. And uh, I think our listeners would be wise to go out and get a copy of that book
0: I agree, and I'll tell you what I, I I love the book, and and when I think about digital persuasion and the digital world, uh, I just got to say this is happening, folks. In fact, it already happened. <laughs> when we look at the speed of the proliferation of different avenues in digital technology, it's already happened. It's only a question of whether you're on the curve or behind the curve. And there are very few of us anymore that are ahead of the curve. We're either on it or we are behind it. But I just want to challenge you and ask you the question, how concerned are you about your abilities when it comes to digital persuasion? How important is this to you? People are making significant decisions long before they show up on your radar. You've got prospects out there. You've got future clients out there that are making significant decisions based on what they see in the digital world. And so, I just want to ask you the question. What are you doing to grow your personal brand? What are you doing to stand out? And may I make a suggestion? Find out what everybody else is doing and then don't do that. If you want to stand out, the first trick is to not do what everybody else is doing. You need a unique angle. You need to be able to approach this from a different perspective. You are simply not going to be able to stand out if you're just following the crowd and doing what everyone else is doing. So Commit to that. Have the conversation with your peers, with your managers, and then check out Digital Persuasion. You will not be disappointed. It's a fascinating read. It's an insightful read. It's also a fun read, much like Erin Gargan King herself. All right, there you have it, another episode of The Buyer's Mind. If you're enjoying the show, hop on over to iTunes, make sure you're subscribed, leave a rating and maybe a review there. And if you want to post an episode onto your social media page, it would mean the world because we're interested in digital persuasion as well. But we know that the highest digital persuasion is going to come through people sharing the word, going on social media and saying, hey, I heard this podcast, you should hear it too. So we'd really, really appreciate that. If you take just a moment right now uh, to share it on your social media page. Until next time, go out there and change the world!